0: That's why relationships are important, because then you pick up on those things quicker than people who aren't really that involved with their with their peers.
1: I've been shocked at the amount of, of people coming through to become cops that say that their best friends are people that they've met online they've never met in real life.
2: How could you help anybody else? How could you have any empathy if you don't even know how to show it?
1: Welcome to Three Cops Talk. On this podcast, three active duty police officers discuss behind the scenes stories and real life accounts of what it's like to be a cop. Every episode, you'll get an inside look at the challenges and dangers they face on a daily basis, as well as the triumphs and inspirational moments that make it all worth it. If you want to understand more about the men and women who put their lives on the line for us every day, then this is the show for you. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean.
3: On part two of this episode, clinical psychologist, Dr. Jennifer Prohaska, reviews some of the signs, symptoms, and unique conditions that impact police suicides. If you have any ideas or topics for the show, please reach out to us at 3Copstalk at gmail.com. That's the number 3Copstalk at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach us through social media, our details are in the show notes.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this episode belong solely to the hosts, and do not represent the views of any professional organization. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show.
3: Well, welcome back to part two of this episode involving police suicides. We've been uh, joined yet again by Dr. Prohaska and that Jayhawker spirit.
2: Yeah. Rock jock.
3: And you heard my partners there, <laughs> Rich Uncle Chris, and right. the father of a Jayhawk, Big Sergeant Scott. We love Dr. J because he's come back here to help us with a a, a very trying issue for us at this time. So, Doc, in the previous show, you discussed some of the stats, the averages, the prototypical officer that is a completer of, uh, suicide. So what are some of the things we can look at for, uh, signs and symptoms as well as so maybe some of the preventive measures we're going to get into?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of paint a picture of like, what are the, the classic signs of suicide risk? And then I'll go into the stuff that's really specific for first responders. So classic suicide risk factors are things like obviously diagnosable mental health condition. Um, it, alcohol or substance problems, you know, um, problems with relationships, legal trouble, that kind of stuff. That's the obvious stuff that anybody who's a cop and gone through any kind of training or CIT at all kind of knows the general risk factors, right? Access to firearms, that stuff. So um, but there are some specific things for cops that I think are a little unique. Um, some of the stuff if you like if you're a supervisor, or you're really tight with your peers and your crew, you might notice these in particular. So one of the ones I've, I've come across several times is like disregarding assistance or disregarding your back. So if you think about it, that's kind of associated yeah. with taking higher risks and yeah. um, uh, there's many reasons why people take higher risks, but one of the potential reasons is um, basically dying the hero's death. And I, I bring this up when I talk to groups, peer support groups about, about suicide, because it's a real thing that I've actually heard about in my office is people saying, you know, well, at least if I die on duty, um, I've died the hero's death and, and, you know, I won't be looked at, you know, with shame or disgust or anything like that. Or I've heard people say, I am worth more to my family. Dead than I am alive. And what we can get into that kind of that later. But um that's a thing. Um I would say one of the things that happened to me a few years ago that was like devastating um is um and luckily we ran interference and we got this person to the hospital and they, they didn't complete suicide. But um they were giving away honorable information. We talk about giving away honorable possessions. Um, as like a classic yeah. sign of suicide risk. But this person did, pulled this kind of, this kind of thing with me where I'd seen them for a really long time. And um, they were starting to disclose, like starting at the beginning of their career onward. And so they were disclosing all this information about their career. And finally, I just like did a gut check on myself. And I said, you know what, this is not normal for mm-hmm. this particular person. And I just simply said, Hey, hey, look, are you suicidal? Because this ain't you. This yeah. is weird. You know? And and a pause too long yeah. is a yes in my book because mm-hmm. you guys know right, exactly right. what to say to make it to get out of that situation. So I just simply said, Hey, are you suicidal? Right. And there was too long of a pause. So I said, Well, I got my answer. You know. And so you gotta trust your gut. Got to trust your God. And that's why it's so important to have a good relationship with people too, is like, because that's a call right. out right there. Right? Well, like you,
0: you said too, that, I mean, you, that we're, we're actors a lot of times. So it's, yeah, it's hard to get oh, past yeah. that sometimes because you're like, what do you mean? Nothing's yeah. wrong. Look at me. Um, everything's fine.
1: Yeah you guys are professionally trained actors. You guys are at that. Like, if you think about every single call that you've gone on and every single interaction that you've gone on where you have to pretend that you're not disgusted or you're not mad or you're compassionate when really you're very angry. Like if you think about all that, there's so, you guys have so many reps of practicing how to get out of those situations. You guys are real good at it. So, um, I always, I always tell people when I teach peer support that too, like, Hey, look, If you don't, if, if for some reason you don't, you miss a buddy or a colleague, um, please remember that, you know, you guys are sly, (laughs) you're pretty good at at getting away from that stuff, you know? So, um, I would say one of the other things is excessive overtime is a sign to watch out for. So if you think about excessive overtime, usually that's a sign that either we've got financial Mm -hmm. problems, right? I have a lot of people tell me home is too messy. So I'd rather just go get in my car and have the black box tell me what to do. Right. Um, sometimes it has right. to do with a variety of other things about not wanting to be at home, yeah. basically. Right. Um, and then the simplicity that comes with being in a position of authority that you might not always have at home. So,
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, that's something that I watch out for. No, good. And, and let me, let me step yeah. back a little bit and also say one single factor, does not mean someone's suicidal. So don't like rush around and hospitalize yeah. everyone in your department, please. You know, but
3: don't treat it like COVID <laughs> <a totality>. basically.
1: <laughs> oh boy, getting on Here that.
2: We <laughs> right. We're going to get that banner now. You're going to put Here the banner on the episode. There we ah. go. <laughs> said this oh, but what word. you're saying is just, it's okay. important
0: if you see one thing, maybe you make note of that with that person. And then mm-hmm. say, "Well, now I've seen two things. That's odd." And then, I mean, it's—I guess—it's a difficult question to answer. But you know, not that there's a certain, like you said, there's not a certain number of things that I need to check off. But I guess, you, I guess, when you know your people and the people that you work with, that's why relationships are important because then you pick up on those things quicker than people who aren't really that involved with their with their with their peers. Because yeah. to your point. I think as hard as it is sometimes in our job, I think we still will call each other out on things at at certain times. Like, hey, what are you doing? What's going on with you? Because sometimes yeah. you we know that those right. risk factors are out there right. in our profession. They're so more much more prevalent that I think a lot more people are starting to say, "Hey, are you do-, you know, are you all right? What's going on?" Hey, this that was weird, or you know what I mean? You notice something about somebody who you're friends with, and you pick up on those things and you just say something because it's at least you start a conversation.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I would say that the number one thing, if you remember nothing else about the risk factors, the number one thing I want people to remember is a change from baseline deserves a round of questioning. Okay. So if you know your people's baseline a change from baseline that doesn't have a, like a predictable or normal cause is, is important because sometimes when people decide to commit suicide, they actually get like an elevation in the mood. So like, if you see all of a sudden like mm-hmm. grumpy Gus, you know, day shifter, you know, is all of a sudden just, ah, I'm doing great, you know, and there's no real reason for that. Um, it's right. such a change from their baseline. You might want to ask about it. But then also we've got people who are normally really talkative and normally really positive and normally like really engaged and will meet you, you know, during a shift for, for lunch or, you know, go right. car to car or whatever. And then all of a sudden they won't do that. That's a change from baseline as well. So you got to ask, 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 like know the baseline and then notice the deviation and ask about it.
2: So what's been that. the, uh. The switch in relationships between like when when we all got on, I mean, we all cared for each other and we, we always kind of just hung out with two or three people after work and, you know, our families got together and stuff like that. And I think that helps because, you know, I, I think that's more comfortable having the conversation like, hey, you know, you're not on your A game today. What's going on or whatever? I just don't know. I just don't see a lot of those uh those extracurricular activities or those relationships anymore.
1: No, you're right, and I've noticed that um, not only just in you know police work, but also definitely in fire service, definitely in other occupations related to public safety altogether. And I think there's probably many many mm-hmm. factors related to that. One of which we can go all the way back to um, when you have two people working outside the home, someone's got to be back quickly to take care of kids, right? So you have that, um, mm-hmm. all the way yeah. to lack of social skills. Um, you know, I've been shocked at the amount of, of people coming through to become cops that say that their best friends are people that they've met online. They've never met in real life. Um, yeah, that's a thing. Wow. So I don't want to get all down mm-hmm. on the new generation, yeah. but th- I think that it hasn't been prioritized, you know, yeah, but that's, yeah. Yeah. So the, the social skill isn't there.
0: But, and coming into this kind of profession it's communication is paramount to the stuff that we're doing. Like you can't do this job mm-hmm. if you can't right. communicate with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's right. not going to good, last.
1: Solid social relationships are one of the most protective factors against suicide. But yeah, we have people coming into this industry that don't mm-hmm. have the baseline skill to develop good, solid, intimate social relationships. And so we, that's a huge risk. That's something that um, the folks in my office are constantly working on is how do we get new officers to develop better, like interpersonal skills with their peers? Because it's a really huge protective factor, not only against suicide, but against like post-traumatic stress disorder too.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So. Yeah. But if, if you don't have that with your peers, or if you don't have a foundation of that, whether it's peers or at home- how could you help anybody else? Like, how could you have any empathy yeah. if you don't even know how to show it or you don't even know what that means or okay. or how do you make the decision? You know, yeah. this guy really needs to go to jail to, to, to I think he, he or she will get it now. Or, you know what, I think I'm just going to, you know, let this person go away with a verbal because I think they really get it. I just don't think you, you don't have those interpersonal skills. And then I, I think on our topic, then it creates Well, I can't do the shop because it's, you know, I continue to fail because I don't know how. I don't know how to do this.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, Chris, I don't know where you're working right now, but ain't nobody going to jail where we live right now. So
3: exactly. We don't have enough people (laughs) to take them to jail. In previous shows, we've talked about, you know, how, you know, the advent of phones and how we communicate with each other with texting and Instagram, social media has kind of really seriously curtailed people's like ability to effectively communicate in a traditional manner. Um, You know, like talking to people basically, as opposed to texting or whatever. And this lack of interpersonal skills, that's maybe generational. Again, I'm not, you know, knock in that generation is just part of their world. But policing will always be about talking to people because you have to get so many other things from a conversation like Mm -hmm. tone, you know, the person's body language, all of that stuff that you miss. Um, Do you think we're up against some hard walls with that right now? That's really going to impact this and how this impacts, you know, officers interrelating to each other and the public.
1: And and I don't want to say the sky is falling, but we are in a Mm -hmm, lot of trouble on that and it's probably going to get worse. Uh, i wish mm-hmm. i had an exact answer of what's contributing to that but i just i kind of point to like currently teen suicide rates in particular um, suicide attempts psychiatric hospitalizations and completions have gone through the roof and a lot of it is because of what chris was kind of hinting at was just low empathy and low ability to know how to engage with your peers and so mm-hmm. you can't even run interference on a good friend because you don't really know what it takes to to have that type of bond where you would notice some stuff so I don't have an answer for that i will t- i will tell you that i do think this is where like agencies should probably really strongly invest in some of their um more senior folks that have really excellent social skills you know Mm -hmm. and like really push them hard to be either field training officers or really invest in like first line supervision you know kind of up playing up those skills, I'll say, because that's kind of our biggest hope right there. Also say academy staff also, also. like setting a tone, setting a cultural norm um, where, hey, we all eat lunch together. Like I have an academy that I work with right now. Yeah. Um, they they Because I do some of their psychological testing, um, we were noticing that they may be less likely to bond together. So right before the class even started, we started talking about some things to do to kind of force the social norm of we always eat lunch together. This is always what we yeah. do. We always run together. You always do that, and so if you start early, that's when their culture—the culture of how they may run the next twenty years of their career, twenty-five years of their career—gets started. And in that, in that capacity, in that space right there, you're doing more than you probably probably realize, including potentially decreasing suicide risk.
0: Well, yeah, and the academy—I mean are you were challenged on your communication you know when we went through and it was mostly just like people screaming at you in scenarios and seeing if you could tolerate that kind of stuff um I mean not all of it but but a good good amount of that and i I think that with the academy stuff you don't again you're not wanting to make people soft I uh, don't take me the, you know I'm not saying that but you there I think there has to be just a different approach because it's a generational thing. You gotta you gotta make some changes to that and not to coddle people, but maybe just to identify people that don't have some of those skills and then either try to help train them or figure out that maybe maybe this isn't for you, you know, and will save you the pain of of doing this career because it just might not be the right thing for you. Cause I think we owe that to people on the front end to try to either help them with that improve it or Identify it and say, maybe, maybe maybe a different career might be the option for you.
1: I, I will say like as negative right. as I'm being about kind of newer folks coming in, I will say one of the things I've noticed is that they desperately want a sense of belonging to something bigger than them. And so Mm -hmm. if we can create that in the culture, I think we can, we can have some wins on multiple fronts. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's some hope there, but we, we've got to also to take it even further and more philosophical, Scott, like, I think we need to decide, you know, as a culture, like what, what is the ideal officer? Because the society is asking it for us for to be so many things, and we've got to be able to set that vision for them pretty clearly so that they know what's expected of them. People like to make expectations. and cops in particular really like to meet expectations, right. but we got to be able to set that yeah, for them right but I,
2: yeah. yeah, you know, I think that's what makes this profession what it is. There's not one particular ideal cop. It's like there everybody has a yeah. strong suit. everybody has, and, and you have to work with each other to make it yeah. through. You know, and I just, and I think that's so important. And I was going through your slides and I'm, and I'm, we're talking about it and the, this kind of stuff is so preventative, you know, if you start early, like, like you're saying and, and teach them different cultural stuff and, you know, going back to, to what our topic was, what other things do you have, or do you feel that we can do as a profession? Um, because as a society, I mean, I don't think we're going to lean on civilians because they, I don't. Really know if that would exist but as as a as a profession what other things that you can do that we could prevent you know officers Mm or first responders from committing suicide Um,
1: so i think like uh i would say one of the most important things is having easily accessible culturally competent providers mental health providers who actually know what's what what they're doing you know like sometimes i'm embarrassed by some of the things i hear from from therapists who don't normally work with cops and then they try to work with a cop and they bring some woo-woo hippie shit in and it It's a real turnoff.
3: (laughs) Right. So, that is a term right there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Some woo woo hippie shit. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is That's yeah. a sound bite. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. so we got to do better there. And we got to have good experiences. So agencies need to screen right. their providers better and make sure you like hand them off like white glove hand them off to really good providers, I'd say. That's one thing. Um mm-hmm. I would say again like I've I've really really harped on building social cohesion in a squad, a unit, a team, whatever you can do. Um that's huge, and then also say there's certain groups that are a little bit higher risk for suicide that we might want to think about, and just like keeping an eyeball on, you know, and, and it is veterans, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Veterans, mm-hmm. um, in general, um, one of the things we didn't touch on yet is officers that are transitioning into retirement um, mm-hmm. are at slightly higher risk as well for completion. So I'm kind of thinking about how to help oh, people yeah. psychologically plan for this career being over and then moving on you know what's my purpose in life so that's one thing we can help and then also myth busting like crazy cuz i can't tell you i've i've said these messages till i'm blue in the face and i think the midwest has gotten it i i hope other other communities have too but um people think that they are going to get fired if they seek mental health treatment and i always want to point out what gets you fired is not seeking mental health treatment <laughs>
0: right yeah you know? it's quite right. the opposite right. yeah
1: like look many careers are salvageable before the second dui right you know, right, many right. careers are salvageable before the domestic violence incident. Right. And so I always try right. to really harp on like, guys, don't let that grow. Just take care of it now. But you also you can't get fired just for seeking help. You know, we've got something mm-hmm. called the ADA, for example. And legally, it's a lot harder to terminate people right. just for getting help. So um, myth busting, right. that kind of stuff. And then obviously confidentiality is huge.
3: In your slides, you had a a numbering system that you used to help kind of be a gauge for us. It's kind of similar, like, let's talk about your level of pain. And with suicide, when we were officers dealing with a coworker, like you defined as one as not really showing any signs or symptoms of it, up to a 10 where they tried to execute their plan of taking their own life. You had said that we were maybe somewhere in the ace before... We actually acted on something. And why is it important that we maybe move a little sooner than that?
1: Okay. So it drives me a little nuts. Um, One of the things that does happen is we don't, we're so used to reacting all the time that we don't catch stuff early enough. So prevention, like when we talk about suicide prevention, um, that's not when someone's at a 10, a 10 is like full on crisis mode. Like let's hospitalize them. Right. We -hmm. should probably be early on saying, Hey man, I noticed there's like not a lot about you that makes you happy. Have you thought about coming golfing with me? Hey, have you ever thought about taking up a hobby? You know, sounds like you are having difficulty communicating with your spouse. Um, We've got this, you know, spiritual group where it's couples, or you know, whatever. Like early, if you intervene at a three or a five, that is so much more effective than a ten. Guys, the mental health system in America—I don't know if you noticed—is broken.
3: Oh, so yeah. if you're just really? rushing, right. yeah.
1: yeah. So if you rush or you're just sending people to the hospital, I will be honest with you. They're going to keep them for 48 to 72 hours to make sure they're safe. And they're going to roll them right out that door and ain't nothing changed. Yeah. Probably.
0: We see if it. Yeah, insurance. we see it every day.
1: Yeah. Excellent. And yeah. You think that won't happen to your own officers? That's the same thing. It's the same system. So right. you got to be way ahead of way ahead of this, and, and notice it early. Tr- start intervening early, and then if you do get that person that you know flies on the radar and gets to the ten, get them to an appropriate hospital. Mm-hmm. Get them to a place where they're not going to see someone they just arrested. Please. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, we take people out of state all the time. We take people to hospitals that are out of their jurisdiction all the time. Have a plan for that as an agency. I would say to preserve confidentiality.
3: And that's a top. We covered in episode 39, if you go back to that one, it was with Rich Stocky and Carlos Farina of Hope for Heroes at the Transformation Treatment Center in Florida. So check that one out.
1: Um, and then also, don't forget the back end of care. Just because someone was in the hospital, that's a 72-hour delay only on some people. Yeah. Right. And so, hey, how about- Some follow-up, You, know, you up, make yeah. sure, um, yeah, they're immediately plugged in with some kind of professional services. And then also, be a good friend, right? Like, hey, we can't have you sit at home. I really want you out doing stuff with us. Um, I've got X, Y, and Z planned. You're not really allowed to say no at this point. Sorry, buddy, I love you, but let's <laughs> right. go let's go do yeah. stuff. You know? Right. So you gotta take the reins. A lot of times when people are that ill and that suffering, and the they just want someone about to take the reins. The
3: reasons mm-hmm. that first responders yeah. or police officers uh, ended up taking their lives and there was four of them total. Yeah. And the first one was relationships and we kinda already talked about that as yeah. to why those things can be so pressing on us and we, you know, solve a lot of those at work, but we We can't really solve the ones that were at home. But the second one was depression. And I thought that PTS would be higher than that and maybe other internal factors um, associated like with the organization and, you know, toxic work environments, things like that. Um, But depression, talk about that and the impacts of depression on our profession and how it compares to the rest of the world. Is it worse?
1: well depression is definitely more prevalent in the, in the profession at least two twofold at least we're thinking compared to the general population again like i'm saying like the general population ain't doing very well either so, um, but it's at least twofold. Um, but I think one of the myths is it's not always PTSD or post-traumatic stress symptoms that lead to suicide. Now, like I said earlier, sometimes the downstream effect of PTSD is relationship issues, right? Um, but you know, the fla- mm-hmm. the red flag on the field right before something bad is going to happen is usually... Relationship issues.
3: And then obviously three was PTS or post-traumatic stress. And then four was the pending legal or disciplinary issues an officer may face. And that fourth one used to be a barometer when we were out there really, really doing our jobs. Like when we had the support of people. Now with the climate that we're experiencing, a lot of agencies and people don't want to admit it, and chiefs definitely don't want to admit it, but we have kind of de policed. We've stepped back. When we looked at a situation we're like, hey, I can get involved. We say to ourselves, is the juice really worth the squeeze on this? And a lot of cases we're not serving people by stepping back because We're going to be told we're wrong no matter what we do. If we do it, we're wrong. We don't do it, we're wrong. So it's just easier to play it safe than become that next guy. Thought they were doing something right and it turned out to be wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that when I say pending legal issues or discipline, a lot of times that's challenging someone's integrity. And if you think about like what's a core value of many officers, it's their integrity.
3: Oh, yeah. And so you're
1: also pending legal issues or stuff like that or discipline, you're putting your career potentially at risk. And for a lot of people whose identity is made up, at least- a large portion of their identity is made up by being an officer when you are in legal issues that really challenges that it really challenges your identity and then also your core value of integrity. So I think that's a factor. I, I do think that Sean, what you're also mentioning is another thing that I've noticed um, that is related. Actually, it's one of the top five things that leads to increased suicide risk, which is uh, like organizational stress, or as I like to call it specifically to this topic, administrative betrayal. So, I've done something in the name of my organization for the right reasons and what I thought was the best decision. And I did it out of really true good place, right. but it didn't go poorly or I couldn't control the outcome or whatever. And um, I'm afraid that my agency will abandon me. Mm-hmm. So I think right. that that's another factor. So it's like twofold there kind of on your question.
2: Thank you so much. I mean, this is a good place to to, to mm-hmm. just stop and let everybody kind of do reflect. And, and what I would like for everybody to do is kind of take this episode and, and if you have people or peers and whether, no, no matter what your profession and you see them off the baseline is what uh, the good doctors suggest. If you see them off the baseline, just take the time to, you know, say, Hey, everything okay. You know, offer some help, offer some assistance, and hopefully you'll catch them at the a one, two or three. If they are at a 10, um, please, you know, escort them to go get some help and get them to or HR or I'm sure everybody has a friend that's a psychiatrist, a psychologist or North place to go. Um, But uh, please take this, take this and and, and use it wisely. And and let's try and, you know, bring these suicides down, not only in police work, but just in in, in the entire world. Doctor, thank you so much. Thank you, God. Is there any place that you can, uh, off the top of your head, where somebody can go right away to get help?
1: Yeah. So um, obviously there's all the suicide prevention numbers um, that are kind of out there. There are some um, cop lines in particular um, that we can put in kind of show notes. All
2: right perfect thank you and for everybody out there please i hope you're well um if you like this podcast please uh send us an email if you like it if there's any questions or comments or stuff you don't like please send an email because we want to make this show a baseline and a bridge to 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 make people understand civilian life and police life and 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 build this bridge so we can make this world a better place please go to where to get your podcast leave a rating review and subscribe also if you have any um Guest information, please go to 3Copstalk at gmail.com or go to our website, 3Copstalk.com. Thank you very much. Everybody be blessed. If
3: you or anyone you know needs any help, they can always dial 988 from any phone to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Police officers can call Cop Line at 1-800-267-5463 or go to bluehelp.org for available resources. If you would like to learn more about what Dr. Prohaska does and also apply some of her tips and tricks to your agency, you can visit the Tactical Longevity website at tacticallongevity.com. From there, you can take a two-minute agency survey and book a call with her to see how she and her team can improve your department. She is also on Instagram at 1st.responder.psychologist.